It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to the Untold Story Podcast. I'm Martha McCallum, and today I'm joined by a real newsmaker for this week. I'm with Jim Griffin, who is one of the two lead attorneys with Dick Harputlian for Alec Murdoch. And this week was an enormous week for this case. It now looks like there may be grounds for an appeal and to perhaps this will likely lead to a hearing by the judge based on what we're about to talk about in terms of the grounds for a potential new trial in the double murder murder trial for Alec Murdoch, which was watched so closely by all of our viewers and so intensely across the nation. So, Jim, thank you very much for being with us today. Glad to be here, Martha. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So uh, let's start with what happened this week. And I'm curious if you can give us a little bit more insight, because after the murder verdict came down for Alec Murdoch and he was sentenced to life in prison for the murders of Paul and Maggie Murdoch, you and Dick Harputlian said right away that there would be an appeal. At that point, what were you planning on basing your appeal on? On a number of evidentiary rulings that the judge made that we thought and we respectfully disagree with, you know, we um, we went to try a murder case and we spent at least two weeks um, trying a financial crimes case. And it's not a financial crimes case that we were really contesting. The, the state claimed that that was motive for Alec to kill his wife and son. And we, we didn't think that's a logical motive. And there's no evidence that to link the two in our view. And we did not think that that financial crime evidence should have come before the jury and that it was nothing more than a character assault. And, you know, and, and so that, that is a big, big, big portion of our appeal. There are other rulings that, that we were challenging on, on appeal, but th- that was principally what, what we intended and still intend to argue on appeal if necessary. So do you think that that is that this new information about Becky Hill, the court clerk, who you claim that two or three jurors, I guess, now say she had undue influence on their decision making process. Do you think that what you've gotten now from Becky Hill is stronger than the financial question because it feels like Judge Newman had already decided that he would allow those financial issues because he felt they went directly to the to the credibility of, of Alec Murdoch's ability to tell the truth. The uh, I mean, this new information is, is a game changer, without a doubt. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it changes the landscape of the case completely. The law, the law in this area is is so stringent against outside influences coming into play uh, affecting a jury. I mean, the, the Sixth Amendment right to trial by jury includes a right to confront witnesses. Um, th- those are bedrocks of our criminal justice system. They're bedrocks of, of trials. And and when you have private communications with jurors that that the jury um, is subjected to, that uh, that is not presented in open court, Lawyers for a defendant do not have the ability to uh, 
challenge that evidence, cross-examine that witness, know about that evidence, that that when private communications come into play, um, the, the test is essentially, were there private communications? And then there's essentially a, a burden shifting if we prove that 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 there were then the burden shifts to the state to to prove that it was that those communications were harmless and it's and it's even mm-hmm. when it, when it comes to private communication by court officials i mean the proof that it was harmless is very difficult to over to to make by the state if the subject matter, if the subject matter of the communication, you know, is, is material to the defense. And, and here the subject matter of what these jurors have told us, Ms. Hill said to them, goes to the heart of the defense. It is, you know, she is reported to have said um, right before the defense, we, Mr. Arpulian and I, put up our case in chief in, in defense. She is reportedly said, y'all hear things that will throw you off. Don't let this distract or mislead you. And then the most critical moment in the entire trial is when Alec decides to take the stand. And she's back there in the jury room telling jurors not to be fooled. Watch him closely. Look at his actions. Look at his movements. Now, Martha, when we decide with the client whether to testify or not testify, there are a lot of factors that come into play. But I can promise you I have never, ever considered the prospect that a clerk of court would go back and warn the jury before my client took the stand that he may be, he's going to fool you. Watch him closely. I mean, that is, I've been doing this 37 years, and not only it never happened to me, I don't know any other lawyers ever happened to. I mean, it, it is astonishing what these jurors have reported. Yeah, um, I've spoken to a couple of judges and legal experts who definitely agree with what you're saying, that this is such unprecedented behavior if it indeed happened the way that that you presented and these jurors have signed affidavits to that it is like nothing they've ever seen. It's an extraordinary twist of events in, in all of this. So if you could take us through some of what you presented in your news conference, you know, give it give us sort of the highlights of what you what these jurors signed affidavits, sworn affidavits to um, in terms of Becky Hill's interactions with them. Sure. And and so I just I, I just spoke of, of two times when when she uh, engaged in, according to these jurors, in communications about the defense case and about Alec Murdoch's testimony. Um, there was also, you know, this uh, one juror who, and, and it came up during the trial, and, and we had like three in-camera hearings about uh, whether this juror should be removed. There was an email that was received um, from somebody who asked to remain anonymous. It wasn't an anonymous email, but it was from someone who who said that a co- co-worker um, that she worked with, um, that this juror was her landlord and that this juror had delivered a refrigerator. And while they were delivering a refrigerator, the jurors talking about the jury duty that she was doing. She was on the Murdoch case and expressed her opinion that 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 the state hadn't proved him guilty yet. I mean that that was information that had come to the judge. So the judge, mm-hmm. um, we we had a hearing. Uh, the juror denied saying that and and said that. Um, but you know that she did deliver a refrigerator, but she didn't talk about the case. So so that that was part of it. 
And then during the midst of that, after that came up, Ms. Ms. Hill comes up with um, a representation that she had seen a Facebook post by this juror's ex-husband who says that the juror went drinking with him and told him that she believed that Alec was innocent. And and then when pressed to come up with a with the Facebook post, um, Ms. Hill could not do it. She found an apology post that had been posted, frankly, for a few weeks from someone with the juror's husband's ex-husband's same name. And and frankly, the apology post was dated February the 16th. And in that apology post, it said, essentially, I had posted something. I've been drinking. Satan made me do it or words to that effect. And I had taken it down the day before. That had been February 15th. And Ms. Hill is telling Judge Newman that she sees this, I think, around February 23rd, which is an impossibility. And, and in addition to that, she tells this juror that um, she tells this juror that that Sled had gone out and confirmed with her ex-husband that he had sent this post. And none of that had ever happened. None of that had ever happened. And, and while while we we were you know working through whether this juror should be taken off because she engaged in you know outside communications about the case um miss hill is asking her you know do you think he's guilty or innocent and she says i haven't made my mind up and miss hill asked her well what makes you think he's guilty and she says well you know the dog kennel video what makes you think he's innocent and she says um you know the fact that there are no murder weapons and and we we have this. The juror has this in her affidavit, and she she says when when this juror told her about the murder weapons, Miss Hill said, "quote that everything Mister Murdoch has said has been lies, and that I should forget about the guns; they will never be seen." I mean, this this juror had not been removed yet, and and she is um, Miss Hill's in, you know questioning her about what what she believes, and and I, I can tell you this juror was removed. Mm-hmm. And and I can also tell you that she was so upset about it, she went to see a lawyer and the lawyer said, write everything down. And so what this juror has is you know a bevy of notes of her recollection that she wrote. Why that- weren't you made aware of this was going on? And why wasn't Judge Newman made aware that this was going on? Because that would have stopped all of this in this in, in its tracks during the trial. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So. That's a really good question. Um, I, I can tell you that, you know, Ms. Hill didn't come forward with it. There, there is a, in the transcript of one of these hearings, and we attached that in our in our um, petition to the Court of Appeals, there's a transcript where this juror relayed to Judge Newman and me in Creighton Waters in, in camera hearing that, that Ms. Hill had told her about this Facebook post. And... Judge Newman questioned her about you know, his communication with Miss Hill. Now, interestingly, Miss Hill was not in the courthouse that day, and I'm not sure why. But uh, after uh, after the juror leaves, uh, Judge Newman says words to the fact that, oh, boy, I'm not pleased with the clerk of court questioning jurors about this. She should have brought it all to me. And I said, yeah, I'm surprised, too, Judge. And so I, that that is on the record. All right. That is on the record. And so we knew that. But, you know, that's the juror did. Um, I, don't, I don't think the juror was keeping it from us. And I don't you know, I don't know that the jury knew any better, frankly, because here's the clerk of court 
the clerk of courts in there and she's her job is to manage the jury you know logistically and um and so you know i i, I don't think that she knew immediately i I don't know. I wish we had known. I wish we had known. And there would have been a mistrial right then and there. I can assure you if the information that, that we now know had come out during the trial the trial would never would have been completed and it should not have been, you know, there, there are other things that we, we've learned is that, that Ms. Hill and the four person of the jury who was a female would, would frequently go into a, a room together privately. And the two of them would Staying there for 10 minutes at a time and they would just have private conversations. We don't know what those conversations were and we sure want to know. And at a hearing, I think we'll hopefully we'll find out more. But um, and so that 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 was a that was another thing that concerned us. And and then, you know, we've received reports that during the the scene inspection at Moselle, that Miss Hill was walking around with the with the four lady a good bit. And in her book that um, she published she she makes a big deal and and i think maybe i can't remember if she did it on on the on the uh, documentary martha but she makes a really big deal that oh after the and after we left moselle we all knew he was guilty now who's the we that she's referring mm-hmm. to i mean it could be her and the jurors it could be her and the court staff i, I don't know but you know it just well that, she kind of says in that sentence in the book you know those of us um from the court and also the jurors you know we all left there with a similar impression she says we we all kind of kind of connected with our eyes and knew what we were all thinking something to that effect it's not exactly her words but that that he must be guilty yeah Um, let me me, a little little bit more the um Right before the jury starts to deliberate, she tells the whole jury, she says, this shouldn't take you long. This should not take you long. And and she's prepping them for media interviews and, and handing out mm-hmm. media cards. And then um, and then there are smokers on the jury. They've been making smoke breaks, you know, during the whole trial. And then come jury deliberation, smokers, you cannot smoke a cigarette until you reach a verdict. I mean, t- talk about coercion. I mean, that's. I, I've never had a nicotine habit. I've never smoked, but I know people who do. And, you know, that would be very difficult. The Untold Story continues right after this. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. We haven't heard her side of this at all. Uh, we have heard only that the AG and the uh, prosecution team is reviewing the document that you put out yesterday. Right. How what do you expect to happen next in terms of their response to this? I can only imagine. I mean, obviously, they had the prosecution had a huge victory in that courtroom that they would not want to see overturned. They felt that justice was done. So. When do you expect to get some reaction from them on this? Uh, we, we wrote them a letter a- asking that their consent um, to our request for evidentiary hearing. We, we we haven't gotten a response. They have 10 days from yesterday to file a formal response with the court. Um, you know, I, I, I strongly suspect that that there's an effort afoot to go out and interview as many jurors as they can to try to. You would think. 
to debunk the information that that was pro- yes. provided to us. We're concerned about that. I mean, we're not concerned about the AG's office having their own investigators go out, um, but but we're real concerned about you know the sled who prosecuted, investigated, and prosecuted this case. Um, we're, we're concerned about their objectivity, and you know we want to. Well, wouldn't they say the same thing about you? Well, that you had an opportunity to be alone with these jurors and sure. that they don't trust what you got out of them. Sure, they do. Sure, sure they have that. They have that same opportunity. But, you know, we've got, you know, we I think we all want the same result. You know what happened? And there's you know, I'm 100 percent confident that the jurors that we talk to independently, separately and and no, you know, you know, they weren't in the same room. They they were all separate, uh, separate occasions, told very similar stories that, you know, that they're being truthful. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, we uh, but there's a there's a there's a coercion factor when someone with a badge and a gun sits down with you and and starts asking you questions. There's not much of a coercion factor when a two, you know, 60 and 70 year old man with one with no hair and one with, you know, gray hair. And, you know, we, we, we got nothing but, you know, a pen and a pad. I mean, that, you know, nothing we can do to you. So, you know, there's not that inherent coercion when we go out and talk to people. Now, you know, we got this, we got a motive, but we don't have the ability to lock anybody up or threaten anybody. All we can do is ask. And so, you know, we, so we're, we, you know, we want everyone to proceed cautiously here. So you have, Three of the twelve jurors who signed these affidavits—is that correct? So we 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 have two jurors sign affidavits. We interviewed two more. We uh, we could not uh, one one provided the same information that the other two, and and that one was a female, and that but she was reluctant to sign an affidavit. So we submitted an affidavit from the paralegal that was with us who you know, took notes during the interview saying what she mm-hmm. said. And, um, but, you know, we're confident. I mean, I heard, I heard her, Harpootlian heard her and the paralegal heard her. And then, mm-hmm. and then there was a, another interview of a guy that, and it turns out they, the jurors were, when they were not in the courtroom, you know, they were in sort of a jury room, but there were actually two jury rooms because we started out with 16. And, and so the, the men essentially uh, congregated in one room and the women congregated in another room and 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 most all of this egregious um statements that have been reported to us were made in the the room where the ladies and women were for the most part mm-hmm. the 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 one male juror that we were able to talk to he 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 acknowledged that she talked to them about the evidence the autopsy photos and how they, they would be upsetting and and things and you know don't let it upset you. That's that was his understanding. But even there, even there, I mean, she's got no business doing that. She's got no business doing that. But um, so you know, he corroborates that she's talking to him about the evidence. But but you know, he he says the comments to him weren't made in his presence were somewhat innocuous, not mm-hmm. not inflammatory type comments that that the other female jurors reported to us. Mm-hmm. So. The she can face 
a federal investigation. You attached a letter requesting a federal investigation into her actions as well. Is that right? Absolutely. And and it's, you know, not so. So here's here's the point. Who who is best suited to do this investigation? Is it SLED who's invested in the prosecution? Is it um, the Collin County Sheriff's Department? And those are the two law enforcement agencies with direct jurisdiction over this. And and both of them were involved in the trial, involved in the, in, in the prosecution. And and you know, we don't think you know, would be objective, even if they were objective, we don't think that the results of the investigation would, would be seen as objective if they found that, you know, it was an innocent mistake or whatever they find. And we don't, we don't know how, we don't know how far this goes and, and, and I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but what we do know is, is, Miss Hill had this information. What was she doing with it? I mean, she was polling the jurors, wanting to know, you know, she, one of the jurors asked, you know, what are the other jurors thinking? And, you know, what, what, who, who do you think believes it's guilty? Who do you think believes he's not guilty? I mean, and, and what, what is she doing with this information? Is she sharing it with anybody? Who is she sharing it with? And, and so that's those questions, I think, you know, merit responses and i don't yeah. i don't think local law enforcement is really well suited to do that so the other thing i come back to is judge newman you say that he raised concerns saying i i don't really like my court clerk getting involved in that what is it incumbent upon him to do to speak with her to find out the extent of it to potentially remove her what was his responsibility in that moment when he expressed those concerns in camera with all of you? Uh, you know, we, we don't have the answer to that. And we don't know if he did anything. I, I can tell you he didn't report to us that he followed up with the clerk. Uh, and so, but did he? And and did he have a conversation? I mean, we don't know. And and those are you know mm-hmm. questions that need to be answered. And, and And we're in no position to ask Judge Newman, you know, what did you do? And but, but, you know, but that kind of puts him in the witness territory if if he did anything or didn't do anything. And and so we're not sure that's right. he's, you know, the appropriate court official to preside over this hearing. And so that, you know, but that's a that's a that's something will have to be addressed down the road. OK, so what I, I guess the next question is, where's all of this headed? And is it headed to a place where there's a new trial? And is it a trial that then you have to change the venue for? Is is it problematic that everybody in this community is so intensely aware of everyone else's activities. I know Becky Hill wrote in her book, I think that her grandfather or great grandfather was a bootlegger with the senior Murdoch and you know, does this need to move somewhere else? Without a doubt. I mean, if we if we are fortunate to have a retrial, uh, we, we will seek a change of venue for sure. Um, I, I don't think we can try this case again in Colleton County. Um, there's it's just particularly if we get a retrial based upon a misconduct of an elected court official in Colleton County. And so I just don't think that that uh, I, I I think we would certainly seek a change of venue. I would hope we would receive a change of venue, but you know, that's, that's down the road. We got a lot of, a lot of steps to, 
take. Yeah. And no response. Have you heard anything about Becky Hill's response to all of this? No, I've not. I've not heard any anything. I, I've heard she has retained two lawyers now, um, but mm-hmm. I don't think they've made a formal appearance. But that's just mm-hmm. that's just what I've heard. All right. So tell me about the about Alec Murdoch, his response. Have you spoken with Buster about any of this? He said in the interview that I did with him that he thought that the trial was unfair. Right. Now, that was based on evidence that wasn't based on anything that had to do with this and i i think um yeah you I, know, it, go ahead what's, what's their response well i can tell you um so we've had these affidavits for a while and i went to visit alec in prison um a few weeks ago and you know i in a meeting in a conference room and i, I gave him the two affidavits and and th- that we had at the time um we had two at the time and i gave him of jurors and i gave him those and and he he starts reading and he he flips and he reads and, and and he starts and stops and he's he's incredulous i mean he couldn't believe it and he starts shaking i mean it was like and, and it was the reaction that that you or i would have frankly i mean and and he's he's angry he's upset he can't believe it you know he uh there's a beloved judge in in um uh, Colleton County. His name is Judge Buckner, and everyone loves Judge Buckner, and everyone has a Judge Buckner story. Well, Becky Hill came up as Judge Buckner's court reporter, and so everybody knew Becky Hill as Judge Buckner's court reporter, and and you know Alec thought he had a wonderful relationship with her, and 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 she treated him really nice during the trial, you know when. People would order food. They he would get the same food that the courthouse staff got, and you know, pr- pretty damn good food for him. That because he hadn't he'd been eating prison food for a while, and so, you know, and and she was very nice. And but when he read this, it, it, I mean, it, it it floored him. He was upset. He was angry, and and he was you know grateful that that we continued beating the. Um, pavement and dirt roads in Colleton County to ferret out this information. I can tell you that much. And, and he repeated mm-hmm. that today when I talked to him. So, and, and then you know, given, given that history that she has in the court system, what do you think happened to her? I mean, how could she, if this is all, if this bears out, what happened to her? She understands how this is supposed to work. She understands the importance of the propriety of the courtroom of her role of not having any influence over the jurors. She should have an understanding of that. What do you think happened to her? You know, I, I I don't I'm not going to express an opinion about that, Martha, because um, this is, you know, this is uncharted territory. And I, I don't I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. I, I will tell you this, though. She well, you did say in the in the yesterday you said, you know, she wanted money. She was bringing everybody to New York to be on the Today Show. So you did hint at, at you know, suggesting that all of this went to her head. All the attention went to her head and, and steered her wrong. That, that's certainly what what we put in our papers that are filed with the court that 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 that's you know appears to be a motive that um you know the, for this but what i was going to tell you though she she was elected i believe two years ago for this position now she had she had she had, she had a lot of courtroom experience as the as the uh as the court reporter who types down everything but as a as the clerk of court you know, her experience started two years ago and I'm not sure she's ever, I'm 
I don't know how many trials she's ever participated in because one year was COVID. Um, I, I believe, or well, maybe, maybe not. She was elected after COVID. Scratch that. But um, and and I've also learned that there's no training given to to clerks of court in South Carolina. They're they're, they're elected by public vote. You get more votes than the next person. You're you are the clerk of court. You don't have to have any experience, and you don't have to go to school, and you don't have to get any certificate. And so, I, you know, I, I I don't. So it's very well could be that you know, and she's just got caught up in the moment and got excited and and felt camaraderie with the the women on the jury and felt like she could talk freely with them, and mm-hmm. and or she could have some more nefarious motive. Like profit, I, I'm not here to say one one or the other, but that's something that um, is worth that's questions worth at asking, mm-hmm. and you know we hope someone will investigate to get to the bottom of it. So if there's a retrial, and I'll I'll finish up with this last topic with you. I appreciate your time. The evidence isn't going to change. You had 12 jurors who said that Alec Murdoch was guilty of killing his wife and his son on June 7, 2021. So is why would you anticipate that anything would change in terms of the outcome in a second trial? One one of the things I'm not sure the evidence won't change. I, I don't know whether you know at a retrial would all this financial crime evidence come in before the jury. We would hope not. Uh, but if it did, then that would be problematic. And if he was convicted, we'd be right back where we are now uh, on on that legal issue. So, and and you know, things can. Things can happen. I mean, things can. Um, I've, I've I've been a proponent of aggressively investigating where Alec was getting his drugs. He was getting them off the black market, and you know, I've always you know a lot of people wonder if 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 this was somehow drug related or not. And and I mm-hmm. I think you know I, I, Alec has been charged at the federal level on financial crimes. Alec is pleading guilty on September 21st. Alec has a plea agreement that requires his cooperation. Alec has been cooperating with the federal government, the FBI and agents. And hopefully that that will, hopefully that something will pop loose. Something would pop loose. That's all. That's my hope. I don't know if it will or not, but I just doesn't seem like the state is really aggressively investigating, you know, the drug angle in this case because they feel like they got their man and we don't think they got because both both Alec's brother in an interview with The New York Times said that he believed that Alec he said he now believed that Alec knows more than he has shared. I asked Buster that same question about, you know, I think that's nuts. I don't know what my uncle's talking about. He said, yeah, I think there might be some truth to that that my dad knows more than he has shared. So what do you think about why wasn't that pursued in terms of what Alec might know about who he thinks might've done this if he didn't? The, um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to comment about what Alec has told us or what he's told federal investigators um, about those matters. I just, not going to comment about that Martha. but but it's a common belief i will say that and amongst you know a lot of people that that he knows more than he's telling and i hear that a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right we will see where it goes uh jim griffin thank you very much 
for being with us. And I know you have uh, a podcast called The Presumption with Sarah Azari, correct? Yeah, we do. And um, and actually, we dropped a episode yesterday afternoon that we that I did uh, on the, the same topic um, and waited till after the press conference. So there's more information there if anyone's interested. And thanks for giving me a plug. Very good. No, uh, I appreciate it. And we appreciate your time, Jim. We look forward to seeing where all of this goes. And uh, we thank you for being with us today on The Untold Story. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Martha. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with the Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.